Insight Podcast, where we talk about all things Magic the Gathering, with a particular eye towards casual Magic the Gathering, in particular EDH and singleton formats. I talk some breaking news in the world of Magic the Gathering, and talk about advice on helping you keep your costs down, and how to play on a budget. I share a few deck lists, and generally try to do my part to help casual players find their way in the murky waters of Magic the Gathering. Think of me as your guide. I'm here to help. Welcome, and thanks for stopping in. Today's program is going to be in three parts. Part one, we'll talk about EDH, communication, the power level of your playgroup. Part two, we'll look at a deck list to help get the old brewing juices going. And then part three, I'll share some cards to watch so you can get to your, your best bang for your buck. So stick around, enjoy the show, get some popcorn. It'll be a good one. All right, let's go move on to our first segment, EDH and the power level of your group and your, and your communication. All right, so we're back with our part one today. So we're talking about EDH, communication, and, and group power dynamics. So like many players, the chance to play in paper is probably a little bit few and far between, particularly if you play casually. Yeah, there are playgroups that meet every week, but there are lots and lots of players out there who can meet once, twice a month, whatever, to get and so you need to make the most of your opportunities. Well, I'm no different. I'm father of four children. I've got a career. I've got you know a wife. I've got you know I've got lots of stuff going on. I'm a busy person. So I was able to get a chance to play last week, and uh, so I met three other MTG dads and to play a little commander. We had a lot of fun, um, but there was something really important that came out of that that game uh, or those games that I wanted to you know bring up today because I think it's going to have applicability for other people outside of just this podcast. All right, so. Uh, in the first game, I was I pulled out my CDC Brew Tyrant deck. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to include the link to my Archidec, uh page for it, so you can see the the, the list I was using. Um, however, my deck is uh, my CDC Brew Tyrant deck. I've had for the better part of three years. I've you know been working on it. I've been tuning it. I've been changing and adjusting things as I've gone. Um, when my other two players that I was playing against were uh, new players, or newer players, I guess, uh, and playing experimental decks. So they hadn't really played the fine-tune how they're supposed to work. So right there, I probably should have been aware that things might have been a little bit different um, you know, than normal. If I was playing an established play group or against people who had decks that I was pretty familiar with and I knew what, what to expect, CDC would have been a fine choice. But given the circumstances, newer players, untested decks, this is probably not a great solution or a great situation, pardon me. Well, things went along and uh, my opening hand was pretty good. Um, I hit turn four CDC naturally, which is awesome. So if I get CDC turn four, uh, I turn the mill factor on and I can start milling my stuff and, and putting things in my graveyard. So turn four was CDC, turn five was a world shaper. Uh, and I attacked my CDC getting another mill trigger. Turn six was attacking with both of them. And then I cast Crux of Fate. The death of the world trigger, a uh, world shaper triggered and I put eight lands from my graveyard into play. So there I was, turn seven, untapping with 15 mana in play, a full grip of nasty cards, and my opponents had no board to speak of. So both guys were 
pretty visibly upset uh, as my deck just went off on them and was going to work them over. And so it brought about a pretty good, healthy discussion that we had about relative power levels. So as an experienced player, I should have been able to look at the CDC deck as being, you know, I look at it as being a kind of a middling power level. However, it's, you know, when I get a turn seven with 15 lands, that's hardly outrageous, but it's probably more than these guys are prepared, prepared to face down. So I should have been prepared to recognize that and just recognize that this deck was probably a little too high in terms of power level for the circumstances. Not to say the deck is too powerful, because I don't think it is. I think the deck itself is very much uh, of an appropriate power level to play with these guys if they're playing tested decks and things that they're familiar with and they've, they've been working on for a while. But when they're new decks, they're not for sure that they know how they work. And I can go and you know turn 7, 15 lands into play, and then I can pretty much have my way with them. Now we've got a problem. So these guys were understandably a little upset. So uh, we had a good chat. And uh, these guys didn't really have a lot of fun watching me pretty much dismantle them. And so we decided to, to sort of shelve the game. And uh, I pulled out something a little more of an appropriate power level that was you know, a little more experimental on its own right. So that uh, I could you know, meet them at, a, at, a, at where they were playing. And I think that was a you know a pretty a pretty appropriate discussion to have. Nobody was bent, nobody was was upset, flipping tables, losing their temper. Everyone was pretty okay with it. And you know what? It was a good conversation to have because you know what? They were absolutely right. My deck that wasn't really appropriate for that particular game because the power level was a little on the high side. My deck is consistent. It does this you know fairly regularly. I turn on the mill. I bring out a bunch of land, uh, you know, power it out, and then ramp to do something probably pretty gross. Um, so it was good. Um, and I think any playgroup needs this sort of discussion periodically about different facets of the game. In this case, power level was, was the topic of discussion, but uh, I just think, generally speaking, playgroups need this sort of conversation on a regular basis about a, a bunch of things. Um, we talked about uh, play le uh, power level, so we could try and find that sweet spot so that we could find powerful decks to play, but wasn't so overpowered that everybody was saying, goodness, that's not fun anymore. Um, I could have been stubborn. I could have said, no, 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 this deck is fine, you guys need to adjust, but that would have only created ill will. I'm not interested in making my, my friends that I play with angry. Um, I live in a small town. There aren't a lot of players around. There aren't a lot of other people I can play with. I have no LGS to go to. I've spent the better part of the last six years making and forging a, a bit of a playgroup so that I could have someone to play with. And I'm really not in the process of trying to frustrate them. Yes, much as I might like them to adapt, it's easier for me to adapt to them than for them to adapt to me at this point. The time will come when I'm sure they'll be able to... to to catch up to me and probably clobber me and that's okay I'm excited for that but right now I need to recognize that I can't really alienate these guys by running them over with decks that are too powerful so it's easier for me to adapt adapt to them um, 
but generally that's our discussion with any playthrough. It doesn't matter whether you're talking power level or band cards or combos or whatever else you want to do. Um, it takes courage to have a discussion and to have it in such a way that nobody's leaving the table upset. So I think it was good that everybody at that table was pretty mature about it. We were adults and we had a conversation and we agreed that right now this deck is not something that I probably should pull out with them. Um, I by playing other people, perhaps this the CDC deck can come out and uh, you know and, and fare better against other players. But uh, it was a good conversation um, to to have, and I was glad that we were able to do it because the other games we played that night and hopefully going forward uh, were were far more enjoyable. Everyone had lots of things to do. They're far more interactive. There were lots of really good uh, opportunities for us to 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 try new cards and to do different things and it was made for a really fun play experience and that's what EDH is all about. It's about spending time with your friends, it's about enjoying the opportunity to interact with one another and play cards and do fun stuff. And yeah, deep down aside, some part of me wishes I could play that CDC deck and run people over. But you know what, if the cost of uh, running that sort of deck means I don't get to play anymore because my playgroup decides they don't want to show up anymore to play, well, then that's not worth it. So I'd rather play something a little bit tamer, where I, the, everyone has a chance to play, instead of me running people over and winning. And I think this is lot, applies to lots of playgroups, where you've got a couple of guys who've got some very dominant decks, or some very strong decks, and other people who just don't. And finding that uh, play level so that everybody can enjoy the experience is very, very key. So I think it was a really good opportunity for us to have that conversation and to start that discussion. And I'm sure it'll be ongoing. And it's something that's always got to be sort of in the back burner as people got to keep in mind. Um, but it does take courage. It takes absolute courage for someone to, to say, you know what, that wasn't fun. And I think because your deck was a little too strong for the circumstances today. And you know what? That's a fair thing to say. And I don't want anyone to feel ashamed for saying it. Uh, and some people, you know, maybe feel some sort of, I don't know, I guess stigma or whatever about having those sort of conversations, but I think they're healthy. And I think playgroups who are going to be long-lasting, successful playgroups have those sort of conversations and you need to be prepared to continue to have them even after the initial one has sort of come and gone. All right. So that was the, the conversation. I think it's, it's not an all-encompassing discussion about it, but uh, it gives people a taste for what was going on. Um, maybe you can relate in your playgroups. You guys might have something similar happen where you've got something like that or another conversation that you know, involves everybody at the table. I want to encourage you guys to do it. It's, you're you're going to feel better about it, and your your play experiences are going to be improved for it. So, well worth the time. All right. Well, moving on here to uh, actually the deck tech portion of uh, this show today, which is going to be uh, part two. I'm going to actually uh, break down the deck that I switched to after I played Sidisi. Um Like always, the link will be included in the show notes, but I'm going to share with you my link for. Uh, on my deck that I played after CDC so that everyone could play at a more reasonable power level. All right, we're moving on to section two. Hold tight. 
All right, so we're here with our second segment, and it's going to be talking about the deck I switched to um, when I was playing with my buddies the other night. Um, it's going to be Farah, God of the Polis. And so I'm going to share with you the deck tech. Uh, and of course, I'm going to include the link in the show notes so that you can see the list on Architect. Uh, but needless to say, it was pretty experimental. I have been fooling around with this deck for probably the better part of eight months. And I haven't been real sure if I, if I like the list or not. Uh, however, I thought I'd pull it out and give it a try with the with these other guys and who are looking for something a little more, let's say, casual to play and something a little more uh, experimental. So um, that's what I uh, opted to, to go with. So Afara, God of the Polis. She's two white and blue for a 6-5 indestructible legendary creature god. And as long as your devotion to white and blue is less than 7, Afara isn't a creature. At the beginning of each upkeep, if you had a, another creature enter the battlefield under your control last turn, draw a card. So, um, basically, I was looking to use Afara's ability to play a bunch of creatures on other people's turns, so essentially at instant speed, uh, and then draw cards to keep my, my grip full of cards and eventually you know, out-resource and overwhelm my opponent. That was the theory, and when you look through the list, there's a lot of creatures that have flash. There's a lot of creatures that have flash, things like Angel of Grace has flash, even Mind Sensor has flash, um, what else, Deputy of Acquittals, Dog's Called Shieldmate, Ginger Taxis, um, and on and on and on. Nimble Obstructionist, uh, Rascapation, Restoration Angel, all these sorts of things have uh, have flash on them. So the idea being I could play creatures at instant speed uh, and then proceed to get value off of Afara. However, um, I've sort of taken the deck in a couple of different directions because I could go all in on playing flash creatures and just sort of play a draw-go play creature on someone else's turn and away we go. But I thought... There were some other interesting cards, particularly for Modern Horizons, that I kind of wanted to play. One of them was obviously Soul Herder, because I think Soul Herder is uh, borderline insane. Uh, so Soul Herder uh, is one white blue for as for a 1-1 one, one creature spirit. Whenever a creature is exiled from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on Soul Herder. At the beginning of your end step, you may exile another target creature you control and then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So... Right there, it alone can get quite large if you start exiling. It's kind of like a con conjurer's closet sort of effect, and uh, it's rewarding you for exiling creatures and bouncing things and blinking things, um, and that sort of style of deck. Uh, the other piece that I took to playing from uh, MH1 or Modern Horizons 1 was the Enchantment Astral Drift. And so it's two and a white for an enchantment. It says whenever you cycle Astral Drift or, or cycle another card with Astral Drift is, is on the battlefield, you may exile target creature. If you do, return that creature to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So again, if you cycle things while Astral Drift is in play, you can get value uh, and you can do it at instant speed. So I have a number of things that have cycling on them, like uh Sandbar Serpent, Striped Riverbend, uh, sorry, pardon me, Striped Riverwinder, uh, Windcaller Avon. These sorts of things have uh, 
have the, the cycling ability on them. Many of them are from Amlet Cat, uh, and they're reasonably affordable because they're pretty cheap. Uh, little creatures to play, and next thing you know, you've got some interesting abilities. Your Soul Herder can get bigger. You're drawing extra cards, and so it all sort of all in all plays together as kind of a fun sort of combination. Uh, other things in the deck that are pretty good, so Leland of Anticipation is a must in this deck. Uh, you're looking to play it as a way to, again, play almost everything at instant speed. Uh, also, the I have Kefnitz and, uh, and particularly Oketra's Monument, because Oketra's Monument uh, can make, allow you to make uh, tokens. If you, so whenever you cast a creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one white creature token with Vigilance. So if you flash in a creature on someone else's turn, you're also getting a 1-1 one, one for it. And there's a cost reduction if the creature is white. So that's you know really quite potent. So you get quite a bit of value out of things. Uh, the enchantments in the deck are pretty modest. So it's Astral Drift. I have a cast out because it's got, again, Flash. And it's also got Cycling on it, which makes it quite interesting in the deck. Athopter Spy Network. Because, again, making a 1-1 one, one every turn. Uh, if you have an artifact in play, and there's a, a, a few artifacts in the deck. You can turn this on, and this can be quite quite good, uh, so that you know you're a, able to draw more cards. You have B an ample supply of blockers. You know, at the very least, the Thopter token comes into play, and Afara can trigger, and you're going to get that ability. Then you have uh, the fact that it deals damage to somebody. You're drawing more cards too. More cards is better. Um, then there also okay, I have Oketra the True. So the Oketra, uh, this is the one from Emily Cat, rather than the one from War of the Spark. So she is a, a four mana, so three and a white for a three, six, double striking, indestructible. Uh, and when Oketra the True can't attack or block unless you control at least three other creatures. That's pretty easy in this deck to, to make up. To make three creatures is pretty straightforward. And for three and a white, create a one, one white warrior creature token with Vigilance. So now I have another instant way to make... Uh, Pardon me, to make soldier tokens or warrior tokens at instant speed. If I have untapped mana, I can, you know, make one and then draw a card and hopefully move my game forward. Uh, there aren't a lot of counter spells in this deck. Often blue white has this sort of unfortunate connotation of being super controlling and playing lots of hard counters. Um, I'm only playing a couple. I'm playing an arcane denial. I'm playing a disdainful stroke. I'm playing a void shatter. Those are the only three that I've got in the deck. Uh, not that I couldn't play more, but the, the focus of this deck is not to try and uh, just deny your opponent's one-for-one -one resources. Uh, it's to have a counterspell if you need one once in a while as a sort of a safety measure. Uh, the, there's a number of uh, pretty important board wipes in this deck. I don't have a ton of spot removal. Uh, I do have Winds of Abandoned as a form of, stop, of spot removal. So it says, for one in a white, exile target creature you don't control. Uh, for each creature exiled this way, its controller searches their library for a basic land. Those players put those cards onto the battlefield, tapped, and shuffled the libraries. So, at the very least, it kind of has like sorcery speed, path to exile. Um, however, for a four white white, has overload, and you change target to each creature. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a board wipe. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. It is an absolute board wipe. Uh, also, Tragic Arrogance often acts as a, as a board wipe. Terminus is a board wipe. Supreme Verdict is a board wipe. 
uh, descends upon the sinful is a board wipe. Even Cataclysmic Gear Hulk, which is in, among the creatures, is also a form of uh, a board wipe. So, the deck itself is played pretty well, I have to say. Uh, some of the, you know, the cards that overperformed and surprised me. Uh, Thought for Spy Network really, really surprised me. Catcher's Monument, Winds of Abandon, Wayland of Anticipation, uh, Angel of Invention actually was really quite potent because it turns all your 1-1s into 2-2s. And so maybe it's indicative that I probably need to play a few more Anthem effects to take my little things and make them bigger. Um, but yeah, a lot of the things I was playing were... Um, ended up being quite positive so I thought on the whole that the deck played quite well now I didn't win but in we played two games of it and I was you know it was me man heads up with the winner in both games so it fared quite well um, it uh, it's not perfect obviously there's some times we get some clunky draws and and such the man is not glorious uh, in fact the mana is probably one of the weaker points there's not a lot of truly interesting things. I could probably play a few more, uh, you know, uh, utility lands that get me sort of some sort of interesting value. But as it stands, I think the deck itself has got is a pretty good jumping off point, and I'm probably going to tinker with it some more to try and make it a little more interesting. But uh, the price point is about right. Uh, altogether, the cost of the deck is about $167. And that would be even easier to mitigate if you take out something like there's a Hallowed Fountain in the deck because I had one sitting in a box. You could take out a Hallowed Fountain, put in a basic or something, and you probably wouldn't notice a huge difference. Uh, you know, the average price of the cards is pretty reasonable. I don't think there's anything super expensive. Uh, there's a couple of, there's two little planeswalkers in there, Jace Architect of Thought and Jace Cunning Castaway. Neither of them break the bank. So really, on the whole, Reasonably affordable deck, uh, has some good play, uh, was good, was perfect for the, what I was looking to do with, with, my, with my with my friends to try and uh, just make generally the game more uh, appealing for everyone to play at, where we can all interact. Uh, and it has some good possibility of ramping, like scaling the power level up and down a little bit. So it was a really interesting deck. It was something that I'm actually really glad I switched to for the games. Um, a little surprised that it went as played as well as it did, but uh, you know that's okay. So yeah, that's uh, our Afara got the Polis deck tech. If you're interested, again, go to go to Arc Deck, follow the link, and check it out. Uh, I think you're going to be pretty pleased. It's uh, affordable. It's fun. It's not that hard to build. It's got uh, mostly cards that are barely current, so that you can probably pick up almost all the pieces without you know spending too much time or energy to grab them all so anyway that's what we got stay tuned for our section three which is going to be some cards to watch i've got a list of cards that i think are going to help keep your brewing fun and affordable uh and some so you won't want to miss that so hold tight we're going to be coming back with our third section All right, so our third and final section is going to be, or part today, is going to be cards to watch. Things that I, I think you should be keeping an eye on to help keeping your, your brewing fun and affordable. Um, there's lots of interesting cards out there in Magic the Gathering, which is part of the reason it's such a great game. Um, but uh, you know what? Like, There's some things that you probably pride prioritizing more than others. Now, the reason I talk about MTG Finance here on a game for 
or a podcast for casual players is I think uh, actually being attuned to MTG Finance, uh, MTG Finance is actually really interesting and really important for casual players. Not because I want you to speculate. I don't want anybody here to go think that because I call the card out here that I want you to go out and buy it. Quite the opposite. I want you to be listening and aware and attuned to what price trends are happening so you can get cards at their cheapest. It'd be great to go and say, oh, geez, man, I want to go buy whatever card I want and spend way too much money. Well, if you spend way too much money, the amount of times you're going to be able to play or the amount of cards you're going to buy is going to be significantly reduced. If you're paying attention to what things cost and when they cost the most or the least, then perhaps you can then find things, uh, you know, at a more reasonable price point. Um, so, you know, I think it's actually very important to still talk about uh, MTG Finance. So I include it in my discussion. Whether or not you act on my things or not is up to you. But I put them in here because I think it's important. Now, one of the piece, big pieces of advice that, you know, I received and I still think is very important is if you're not particularly familiar with MTG Finance uh, and the, the price trends of cards is that just listen. Just listen, find some people you trust, uh, content creators, and maybe it's not me. Maybe you find someone else that you like on the internet that does it better or is more interesting. Just listen and learn from them. Uh, that's probably the best best advice I've ever received, and you know, take it to heart, all right? 80% uh, of anything you do is just listening and learning, and then you can act. All right, so my first card today is Mox Tantalite. Mox Tantalite came out of... Uh, Modern Horizons, and is a mythic that of a set that's largely fallen out of favor with competitive players. Modern is, let's just say, uh, having a retraction in terms of its popularity because Pioneer has pretty much supplanted it as the eternal format or the non-rotating format of choice for most competitive players. Um, many of the other mythics from the set, though, have still jumped in price. Um, you know, Morophon jumped. Uh, you know. You know, you have Urza, you have Yawgmoth, you've got a lot of expensive uh, mythics from that set. Uh, so it would be no surprise to me to see Mox Tantalite uh, sort of follow suit and jump in price as well. Don't forget, it also has the word Mox written right into the name. So anything that has a Mox usually ends up being expensive and also very powerful. Um, now the price graph shows that this is if you look on it on MTG stocks, which is where, again, as I've said before, where I take all my data from for price trends, uh, it has cratered and it's around the $5 mark, um, but has started to tick up. So it made the interest page for uh, MTG stocks for a couple of days last week for some modest gains, like we're talking just a few a few cents up, but um, that's still pretty low at the, pretty much the bottom, but it's, it's pretty much at the bottom of where it's going to be. It's not going to drop any further. So five bucks is the floor, and so now's the perfect time to buy a couple and either sit on them, put them in your decks, whatever you need to do. Um, you're not going to be sad, though. All right? Uh, now, second one, Lotus Field. Lotus Field is a card from uh, Corset 2020, and it is unmistakably a very powerful card. Right now it sits about five six and a half dollars. And it too is more or less at the bottom of its price graph. I expect uh, it probably not to go any lower if you're looking to pick them up. So this is something that you, if you're playing commander, 
They probably want to get this because there's they've mitigated the downside. Uh, this is basically a functional reprint of a of a uh, reserve list card, but it's actually better because it has hexproof. So when Lotus Field enters the battlefield, you just sacrifice two lands. So you sacrifice two tap lands you've already cast a spell with, and then you can then play Lotus Field and the hexproof on it mitigates any drawbacks. So your opponents can't blow it up because they can't kill it unless you kill all the land. If they kill all the land, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it is an, this is unmistakably powerful and easy to abuse with untapping effects. And there's loads of them in, uh, in EDH. So you can, you know, if there's a twiddle, a twiddle storm deck in Pioneer and Modern, there's definitely some sort of twiddle storm deck or untapping shenanigans you can get into with Lotus Field that you probably want to have a couple of copies. And like I said, it ain't getting any cheaper. Uh, third, uh, Kethis the Hidden Hand. Right now it's about $2.25. It's a Somerset Mythic, um, which again, makes it probably less uh, opened than lots of other sets. Like comparatively, Throne of Eldraine is probably opened significantly more than Somersets because summer is when magic tends to be at a lull. People go to their cottage, they go to the beach, they go for vacation, and they're not really thinking magic. So Kethis, you know, wasn't opened as much as it probably ought to have been. However, it too is also the bottomless price graph. So $2.25, like I said, and I don't think it's going to get any lower. And the reason I don't think it's going to be op any lower is because it has open-ended synergy with anything with the legendary tag attached to it. So it's a cost it's a cost reduction mechanic for legendary things. And it does allow you to play legendary things from your graveyard um, by having exiled other things. When in standard, they can go and put together a deck that abuses this in Mox Amber and mill your opponents out. There's no doubt that other formats are going to get a hold of Kethis and they're going to abuse it. So I think you know this open ender synergy with legendary creatures or legendary anything, planeswalkers, artifacts, whatever. Um, is definitely something that's very powerful. Uh, so recursion, cost reduction, you can't miss with this guy. So grab a couple. If you can get them in foil, even better, but just get a couple. My fourth today, I'm going like rapid fire here. I want to get this done for you guys, is Dreadhorde Arcanist. So it's $3.99 right now. And it might be the potentially the best two-drop creature that Red has got. Um, sort of it's been this discussion for a number of years that um, every other color has a two drop that does something really powerful that is kind of warp stuff. So uh, blue's got Snapcaster Mage, white is Stoneforge Mystic, uh, black it's, um, oh geez, Bob is the Dark Confidant, green is the Tarmogoyf. This might be reds. We've been looking for it for a long time. I think this ability to play things out of your graveyard um, as I, again and again and again is really quite powerful um, it made a big splash this uh, this spring and summer with uh, feather but uh, I think it's still going to have applicability going forward if you're playing a red spells deck with lots of cheap instants and cantrips then I think you're going to be wanting Dreadhor Arcanist uh, particularly if you're looking to abuse uh, you know maybe prowess triggers or you're looking to abuse something like uh, like uh, like Kaikar or just lots of options for this guy. Very open-ended synergy with, with cheap cantrips. I don't think you can miss. 
So it seems to be trending down. So probably a chance to grab it pretty soon at a reasonable price. Maybe it falls off completely uh, as rotation nears, but I think it's probably good enough that somebody eventually is going to come back around to it to in Pioneer. And the moment it does, then the price is going to jump. The last one today is Rolesk Apex Hybrid. This is another Simic card. It's a Mythic from War of the Spark. And right now it is at bulk status. It is $1.25. Now, Rolex, uh, Rolesk, sorry, uh, not Rolex, that'd be funny. Uh, Rolesk is two, a green and a blue. Sorry, two, two greens and a blue. So it's five total mana. And it is a uh, four, five flying trampler. When Rolesk Apex Hybrid enters the battlefield, put two plus one counters on another target creature you control, and then when it dies, proliferate, then proliferate again. So if you want to, if you're in a proliferate deck, you're in a plus one plus one counter deck. If you're in both, uh, you want this sort of guy. And at a bulk status of a buck twenty-five, flying, trampling, all that text box, this is powerful. You can't miss it. And I'll be very blunt with you. Blue Green has seen loads of potent support in the last probably eight months. If you think about it, Hybrid Crisis, Oko, Uro, Rolesk, these are all super insano uh, cards for you know Simic and all go together to do really gross things. So this one gets overlooked, but I think is super spicy, the right build, I think really terrific. I think if you're a commander player, you probably want to grab a couple. Um, you usually grab two, put one in, in the deck, and then save the second one for later. Um, and underpriced mythic, underpriced mythics are, you know, usually a pretty good bet. The the fact of the matter is usually things are mythic for a reason. So if just because the price is, is sunk means they, they don't know really how to do with it, doesn't mean the card's bad. And if the card's not bad, you can use it to pretty good advantage. All right. So those are my five cards that I've got for you guys. Uh, hopefully you find those useful. Uh, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start tracking these things on a spreadsheet and just sort of see how they trend uh, week to week. And eventually I'm probably going to share that list once I have enough data, a critical mass of data to, to dump in there for you guys so you guys can have a look if anyone's interested. If you're not interested, that's cool. It, does, it may not be something that's, that's, in, that's in your wheelhouse, but... If you're interested in it, you'll be able to sort of follow along with me as I go through my, my picks and see week over week what things are doing. All right. So thanks very much. We're going to move on to uh, wrapping things up today for this week's show. And uh, I'll see you uh, on the flip side with our, our outro and uh, our wrapping up to the wrapping up for the day. So thanks very much for stopping by and checking in today. This is part of the show where we wrap up and I tell you how you can reach me before signing off. If you want to get a hold of me, the best and easiest way to reach me is on Twitter at bgray8791. So that's at bgray8791. Uh, ask me a question, make a suggestion, share a deck idea, whatever you want. I'm all ears. I love talking to MGG and I'm happy to share ideas with anyone about uh, all sorts of things. So until next time, thanks very much. Be good wherever you are. And have fun at your next time.